0: And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory. So there is a term that we need to consider, and again, it is the great motive, because there is going to be a regeneration. There's going to be a refurbishment. There's going to be a dissolving of this world as we know it it will be burned up with fire, and God, it will prepare for us new heavens and a new earth. Now, this regeneration is much more than just the conversion of a soul. It's much more than the gathering of Jews, and it is much more than a 1,000-year millennium. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale, and today we are commencing a brand new series on the second coming of the Lord Jesus. This is a thrilling subject, but it's gospel-related, and that's the emphasis I want to make. I don't want to get into, you know, Russia is Babylon and Chernobyl is the wormwood, I don't want to get into the speculation. I'm not going to be preaching out of a newspaper. I intend to preach this message from the Bible, the Word of God. And today we have in Matthew 19 and verse 28, these uh, these words that were in answer to Peter. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life, but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And so on that note, we enter into this whole subject of the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Notice the key word in this passage. The Lord said, in the regeneration, when all things are made anew, and this world will not continue as it is forever." this veil of tears, this place of sorrow and death, of toil and sweat, of pain and misery. This this world will not go on forever, but rather there's going to be a new world. You might even call it a new world order under the headship, the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And under that headship, there will be a new world and a new government, a new existence in a place of absolute perfection. And the Lord Jesus said that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is the reigning of the believer with Christ. And today we're going to look at something of this. I trust you'll stay tuned as we bring this message. I want to begin by saying that this doctrine of the second coming of the Lord Jesus is absolutely central to the gospel. And we see that, first of all, because our great testimony in the Lord's Supper, which we meet around once per month in this church, as we remember the death of the Lord, we are to do so till he come, till he come." So you can see there the very close connection between the death of the Lord Jesus that we are to remember, we remember his sufferings, we remember his agonies on the cross, but they're also to connect and unite that sorrow of our Lord with his victory in triumphing over death, over the grave, in the resurrection, and in his wonderful promise that He will come again for His church and for His people. And so right away we see the direct connection between the coming again of the Lord Jesus and His death for sinners. And so this evening I want to preach on the the number of points relating between the Lord's return and the gospel we preach. I have just three main headings, motive, miracle and message. The motive of the Lord's return has to do with the gospel. The miracle of the Lord's return has to do with the gospel. And the message or the ministry of the Lord Jesus was so much focused upon that second coming of the Lord Jesus. So we begin with the motive. The second coming of the Lord Jesus is the great motive of the gospel that we hold to. I want to t- turn to, now, I haven't really got one passage that we're going to be looking at tonight. I have a number of passages here and there in the New Testament, and I want to start tonight with Matthew 19, 28, Matthew 19, 28. Uh, this is perhaps one of the most unusual, uh, unknown, uh, I wouldn't say it's totally unknown, but it's, it's certainly not common. It's not commonly referred to. And when we talk about the Lord returning, we don't use this term. Uh, I've yet to hear someone use this term in prayer. I've yet to use someone use this term in general witnessing. But here the Bible uses this term in Matthew 19, 28, for the return of the Lord Jesus. Matthew 19, verse 28. And it says right here, but... um, Let me get the right verse. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of His glory. So there is a term that we need to consider, and again, it is the great motive, because there is going to be a regeneration. There's going to be a refurbishment. There's going to be a dissolving of this world as we know it. It will be burned up with fire, and God, it will prepare for us new heavens and a new earth. Now, this regeneration is much more than just the conversion of a soul. It's much more than the gathering of Jews, and it is much more than a 1,000-year millennium. Now, these things we will look at as the weeks go by, But you'll notice in verse 29 that this regeneration has to do with inheriting everlasting life. So we're going to call it the eternal state. The regeneration, this future state, is an eternal state. It's not some temporary arrangement. It's not merely something that we will have for a little while, but it is the eternal the uh, everlasting existence of the Christian and the state of God's people when the Lord comes. Now, this regeneration that is referred to by the Lord, he mentioned there in verse 20, Jesus said unto them, Verily I see you, ye which have followed me. Now that, was, that statement is in the answer to the question where Peter said, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee, what shall we have therefore? what shall we have? Now, I think this is very low-level thinking. I think that it is something of the smallness of the minds of the disciples at this time. And I think that Peter had in mind some earthly reward. And the Lord had to instruct him that in the regeneration, in the eternal state, when this earth is dissolved, and refurbished, and there's new heavens and a new earth, then we're going to have our reward. And what a reward it is. And he says to them in verse 29, Everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold. 10,000% increase. Now, let me tell you, there is no business deal on earth like this one there is none. Who has ever started out with one house and ended up with a hundred? This is the greatest investment that anyone can ever make. And the Lord, in response to Peter's question, what shall we have therefore? We have followed thee. Which means they gave up their boats, they gave up their businesses, they gave up their family, they sacrificed in this world in human terms, and they ask what will we have therefore and here the lord gives the motive for being a disciple of the lord jesus is that great day when we shall enter into the eternal state in what is called here the regeneration and then we will reign with the lord and it is the reason why we are disciples of the lord jesus christ this is the real prosperity gospel. It's spiritual prosperity. It's not the promise that we will be on earth uh, living like kings and queens with all earthly riches. Peter was never promised that. In the regeneration, in that eternal state, all that have followed me will receive an hundredfold. Is that good enough for you tonight? Is that good enough for you to make Whatever sacrifices it causes to be a Christian, well, for Peter, it certainly was the Lord's answer. Now, another motive that the Lord used, uh, uh, using again the Lord's coming as a motive, is John 14. John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. The Lord Jesus was revealing his death, his crucifixion on the cross, and for this the disciples were troubled. This is a world that is hostile against God. This is a world that is anti-Christ. But the Lord said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again. And that here is the motive that the the Lord lays for the disciples. This is the answer to, to comfort them in their trouble. For all the gory, difficult things that they had to face, the Lord will go and prepare a place to come again and to receive them that where He is, there they may be also. So, this second coming is the great motive for the Christian life. Also, this return of the Lord was the reason to serve and witness. I'll turn you now to Acts 1 and to verse 9. Here the Lord has ascended into glory, Acts 1 verse 9, and the disciples are looking steadfastly into heaven. And when he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up And the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, as ye have seen him go into heaven. And it was because of this truth that they were able to go back to Jerusalem. And where did they go? They went to the upper room, to the prayer room, just as the Lord had bidden on them. He said, ye shall receive the Holy Ghost after. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And so after the instruction, this same Jesus shall so come in like manner, they went to work. They went to prayer. And they sought the power that they might be witnesses for the Lord Jesus. And surely there is a correlation between our watching and waiting for the Lord and our service for Him. Who is it that's going to be active serving the Lord? Those that are watching and waiting. Those that are living in the expectation of the Lord's return and the fulfillment of all those great things that He has promised to His people now and in glory, the glory that is to come. Now, Christ's redemptive work will not be complete until he presents us to our Father in heaven. Thank you for taking the time joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak, and I hope this message on the second coming of the Lord Jesus will stir your heart. Over the next weeks, we'll be dealing with this subject, uh, looking at various aspects of the Lord's return, and I hope that you will join with us day by day as we bring the message of the second coming of the Lord Jesus. And my thrust in this is that it is an essential doctrine to the gospel. We do not believe in the second coming of the Lord just because we want to have hair-raising stories. We know that this is essential. You cannot be saved unless you're raised again from the dead on the resurrection day and presented into glory. And you'll notice that is the very thrust of the message. And so this is an essential doctrine. The Lord is coming. There is going to be a regeneration in the sense of a, a refurbishing of the world, new heavens, new earth. The Holy Jerusalem will come down to earth, and there will be an everlasting kingdom. So join with us, please, day by day, and stay with us now as we continue with this message from the pulpit of our church here in Cloverdale. You're familiar with this in Jude. Jude, uh, unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before our Father in glory. And so the work of our Lord Jesus on the cross while his atonement was completed, and his work of paying the price for sin was totally finished, yet the work of bringing his church home to glory is not done until he presents us to the Father spotless. And so the second coming is a very vital part of the whole work of our Redeemer, of our Savior in all that He's doing for us. Now, what does this do to the Christian? When we are waiting for that hope, well, it enables us to live holy and godly. Now, I have three examples of people who, because they were waiting and expecting the Lord to come, that they lived differently. I want to give you those examples tonight. We'll be very quick on this. Luke 2:25 you have Simeon. Simeon in Luke 2 and verse 25. Now this is actually the first coming of the Lord. And I want you to see that there are there are many parallels. The first coming of the Lord Simeon was a believer. He believed that the savior would come. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, we know that that meant he was waiting for the Messiah. He was waiting for his Redeemer to come into the world to save the world. And we're told, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And here is an elderly man, a believer. And he has the expectation in his soul that he's going to see his Savior, his Messiah, and he's living in the Spirit. Now, the point is this, that if Simeon lived in the expectation of his Savior coming for him, and that he wouldn't see death until his Savior came, should this not fill our hearts when the Lord has Clearly stated he's coming again, and he's coming for us to take us home to mansions in glory, that he's going to bring us into an eternal state in the regeneration, that he's going to give us an eternal fellowship to live with God. The other example is Mark 15:43, and this is Joseph of Arimathea, Mark's Gospel chapter 15, and verse 43. Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. This, you'll notice that Joseph of Arimathea, because he was waiting for the kingdom, he's in place, and he's bold, and he's ready to even take risks to go to Pilate and crave or request the body of the Lord Jesus. You see, this hope and expectation of the kingdom of God that we have entered into, and the glory that shall be ours, will embolden us. I think it will ignite a new fire in our souls. I think it will give us new power, whereas often we are weak and beggarly. The other example is Luke 12, 31. Luke 12, verse 31. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags, which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, will your heart be also, that your loins be girded about and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, he shall gird himself, and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. So you'll see that this is the great motive. So that's the first major point tonight, that the second coming of the Lord is the motivation of the Christian. And if we do not focus on this, if we have no uh, concern or consideration of the Lord's return, we will lose that motivation. We will lose that that enabling and, and emboldening of our faith because we're not really waiting and watching for the return of our Lord, and living every day in the full expectation. Not necessarily in His imminent return, but in the fact that He will return, and He will return to bless. Blessed are they that are found waiting and watching. So we come now to the miracle. What is this miracle of the gospel? We've had the motive. We've come to the miracle. What is this miracle of the gospel? Well, I want to turn you to Matthew 12 and verse 38, Matthew 12, verse 38. And here you'll notice that they were looking for a sign. There were many asking, what will be the sign? And the Lord said, an evil and adultereth generation seeketh after a sign and there shall no sign be given to it. But this, what is the sign? Matthew 12, verse 39, but the sign of prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What is this sign? And people are always looking for signs. And that's the age in which we live today, too. I talk about, you know, these speculative preachers on the second coming. They've got the newspaper in one hand, and they say, this is a sign. What is the sign to the Christian church that the Lord is going to come again? It's his resurrection. The one who rose again from the dead on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father has promised that he's coming again and the guarantee that He is coming is that the tomb is empty. He's risen. He's risen from the dead. Now, the Lord's return is the necessary trigger for the resurrection of believers. And because we're linked to that resurrection, and just as the Lord Jesus has risen from the dead, this is the guarantee that we also shall be raised from the dead— And the whole defense of this is given in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll not get into the details of it here tonight, but the whole argument that if Christ be not risen, our faith is vain. It's nothing. The gospel is just an empty shell. But if Christ be risen, then we shall rise also. But when's that going to happen? Paul said, at the last trump. At the very last trumpet, there's going to be no more events after that day. The resurrection will not happen for Christians. The resurrection cannot take place until that very last sound of the trumpet. And it's not Calvin's trumpet. That's not the trumpet we're waiting for. It's going to be a trumpet that will sound that every soul on earth will hear. Every Here will hear that call at the last trump, and then the dead in Christ shall rise, and then shall death be defeated, and then shall we sing victory unto the Lamb.